Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Inside the Asperger Studios. Today on the show, I'm joined with Corey Yazuno, a mother who's got a son on the spectrum and has also written the book from his perspective of being someone on the spectrum. So sit back, relax, and grab your favorite beverage, and I'll see you on the other side. See you there. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Inside the Asperger Studios. Today, I'm joined with Corey Yazuno, a mother who's got a son on the spectrum and an author. Welcome to the show, Corey. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited to talk with you. So why don't you tell me a little bit about yourself, and then we'll get on with the show. Okay. So um, I am Japanese. I was born in Japan. I came to the States when I was five years old. I didn't speak any English. Um, and then I grew up in New York, Westchester, New York. Um, I got married, had kids and have a son that's, I have two sons, one who was on the spectrum. And I've been seeing him sort of grow and seeing all the differences and the experiences he's had. So I wrote a book that kind of compares me being isolated and wanting to fit in by learning how to speak English and becoming like American. Um, and I relate that to my son, Daniel, trying to fit in and um, I see him struggling and I, I know what it feels like firsthand to be different and stick out. And um, so I wanted to share those stories um, in hopes of raising awareness and um, making, well, as my son says, you know, if you write this book, are they going to be nicer to me? <laughs> and so that was sort of the whole goal is, you know, raising awareness and really talking about intentional inclusion and how can we make um, the world a better and more um, inclusive space for anybody, really, so that they can experience life fully like they should. So that is the that's my brief history. All right. When did you realize Daniel was on the spectrum? That was early. So Dan was my first son. And so I didn't know what to expect from, you know, uh, any kind of kid. Um, in fact, I thought like, there's nothing wrong with him, except I was on a phone call with my sister-in-law and her daughter, my, ne my niece is about five months older than Daniel. And she was talking about, you know, how oh, my daughter is having a hard time napping. And I said, oh, you know, Daniel doesn't have a hard time napping, but he doesn't really point to things. Um, and I see the other kids doing that. And um, he also doesn't seem to answer me when I call him or like, look, you know, and she she's something she's a pediatrician. So she sort of was like, wait a minute, that's something, you know. And so she called me back a couple of weeks later and was like, is that still going on? I said, yeah. She said, you may want to just get him checked out, see what's going on. And um, I live in the D.C. area. And so we are right by the NIH and they had um, an autism uh, study at that time. So I took him there to be evaluated, basically. And and they realized that there were some delays happening. Um, and so pretty early on, like we were right at the get go for early intervention. All right. What, when you got him diagnosed and when you told him later in life, what was his reaction? <laughs> there's a funny story about that in my book. Um, there's a book called All Cats Have Asperger's. Do you know that book? It's no. like a children's book and it has cats doing all these crazy things. And um, it talks about like, you know, it's okay to be different. These cats are, you know, they have Asperger's or, uh, and it's sort of like a gateway book to talk to your child about being on the spectrum. So we always thought that it was easier for him to know um, what his issues were called so that he didn't feel like, you know, what's happening? Why am I the only one? So 
we got this book and it's, it's really cute. It's got all these cats. And we said to him, Hey, Daniel, you know, you are a little bit different and you react to things in different ways and you're more sensitive to this and sensitive to that. And this is this book, all cats have Asperger's. And he was, the whole concept went right over his head. (laughs) He said, but mom, how did they get these cats to do all these things in these photographs? (laughs) (laughs) So it was really funny. Um, but today, you know, now that he's um, in high school, he definitely accepts the fact that he's on the spectrum and he wears a bracelet that says that he's on the spectrum and he's very vocal about it. And he's like, oh, you know, I may have um, said something weird is because I'm on the spectrum or he's very open about it and um, tries you know, uses that as um, a way to, I guess, explain some of his behavior if somebody gives him, you know, a look or something like that. So. What is it like raising a son who's on the spectrum? Wow. Okay. So that's a very good question. Now that I have a son that is on the spectrum and one that is neurotypical, it's really interesting. Um, It's not easy. It's very frustrating. Um, and there's some times when we, okay, a lot of times when we butt heads, but it's sort of given me um, a different look at the way I see people, right? So um, before I may not have been so mindful of other parents and their struggles Um, before I was in my world and, you know, I was doing my life and that's it. Now I feel like I watch out for other kids. Like if we go to a theater and well, before pandemic and I saw a kid that I thought was maybe spectrum, you know, I'd keep an eye out for that kid just to make sure nothing, you know, was nothing's happened. Or I feel like I've become more aware of, other people and their differences. And I try really hard to be there when other people can't be there because I feel like for my son, a lot of things happen and nobody's there to advocate for him because it happens in life, you know? Um, Mm -hmm. So as much as I can do that for somebody else, that's, I don't know, like super uber protector of kids on the spectrum. (laughs) (laughs) Now, what has prompted you to write the book? So the book, my shameless plug, autism <laughs> with a side of sushi. Um, so what, what made me write it was, you know, what I was thinking like when I was younger and I would come to school with these Asian looking foods, you know, a lot of the kids would be like, oh, what is that? Is that sushi? Like gross. And um, I would be like, oh, it's just my food. Um, but then now fast forward, I don't know, some years, everybody eats sushi or, you know, sushi restaurants are everywhere and it's become so commonplace. And I was thinking about that and I was thinking, wouldn't it be awesome if the idea of autism and that the fact that kids are autistic and adults are autistic was like sushi and like, you know, fast forward a couple of years, everyone would be like, Oh, autism, like whatever, you know, uh, my neighbor has is autistic and my sister's um, friend, you know, her babysitter is autistic or whatever. So I just, and then it's become so common, like sushi is now I mean, like it's, appears that these things can happen where the universe is so grossed out by one thing, but then all of a sudden it's like accepting. I'm not saying the universe is grossed out about people on the spectrum, but I'm thinking if it makes them uncomfortable now, maybe we can figure out a way to make it more accepted and, and, you know, appreciated. Has he read, has Daniel read the book? No, he, (laughs) he was pretty funny. He was like, okay, you can read the book. Um, but I think he didn't really think about what that really meant. So at a certain point, we got into a big fight about, I don't even remember. And I was like, well, that's just, I'm just going to put that in the book about like temper tantrums or whatever. And then that was when I was writing it. And then all of a sudden he was like clicked in his head and he was like, you're doing what? You can't write that. You, I don't want you to put all my temper tantrums in there and this and that. And I was like, 
we talked about this. <laughs> it's like we anyway. So when it when he finally realized like what was happening, he basically canceled my book. He was like, you can't write it. I don't want my stories out there. And I was like, okay, they're your stories. They're my stories too, but they're also yours. So we won't, I will not embarrass you. I will not write this book. Um, and then we kind of like calmed down and we started talking about it. And I was saying how, you know, it's really helpful to other parents and other people to learn about like how normal it is. Like we live a normal life, you know, you're on the spectrum, but like we eat breakfast, we eat lunch, we have tantrums, whatever. Um, and so he went through the book with me and was like, no, <laughs> no. Okay. You can tell this story. No. <laughs> and then, um, after I got his like second approval and I rewrote like the rest of the book, then, um, he was okay with it, but you know, he doesn't particularly love to read. So he was like, mm. I'm not reading it. And I said, that's fine. All right. Has he found his hyper focus? He's found a few. Um, I think he really, 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 really loves Disney World. That mm. is his passion. He loves Disney World. And it's hard because a lot, okay, this is going to sound like a gross generalization, but a lot of the kids that we interact with that are on the spectrum that are 16, they're like really into Legos or like really into video games or really into Pokemon. All of these things that Daniel's not into. So even within the spectrum, mm. I have this child who's unique, right? So he loves this Disney World. He loves going there. He loves the rides. He loves um, recording the rides in 3D. He loves um, making those rides available on his YouTube channel for kids that, um, you know, also are into Disney. Um, he likes the movies. He likes the songs. But mostly he likes Disney World and the rides and that kind of like um full immersion experience, you know, the ride, being on the ride with the pictures and the characters and, you know, so, and he also likes Hershey, that kind of like amusement parks, but mostly Disney. Well, I mean, he's not alone. I mean, I don't like, I'm not big into a lot of things either. And I had, I have a plethora of different interests, but not Legos, not computers. Yeah. I'm not good at programming. So, I mean, I don't know what my, my special interest might just be my own, my podcast. So, but he's not alone. There are a lot of my, I mean, tell him he's not alone with the Disney love. I have a, I had a cousin who had passed away. She was huge into Disney. The fact that her wedding had incorporated Disney characters and stuff like that, but she was a huge Disney lover. Yeah. And there are people, I mean, you know, every time I go to Disney, I always ask the people that work there, like, you know, Hey, would this be a good place for my son to work one day? That would be like his dream. <laughs> and he wants yeah. to create rides and stuff. So. Um, how does he handle being on the spectrum himself? I think he has a hard time with it. You know, I think it's, he's a teen. Um, and life is hard for teenagers. Right. Um, and, um, I think we were just talking about before how it's an invisible disability. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, you know, Daniel is an upbeat, sweet kid. He's like really good at music and he has perfect pitch and he's like doing his life and living his, you know, everything he wants to do. And, um, all of a sudden there's like a hiccup because he doesn't know what he did, but somebody else is offended or affected or something about something Daniel did, right? Um, whereas in Daniel's mind, he's just doing life. Um, and so when these little, not little, sometimes big situations occur, he's really confused. Like what just happened? Um, and I think that uh, on many levels, that's frustrating, right? Because if you don't know what you did and all of a sudden somebody's upset with you, even mm -hmm. if you weren't on the spectrum, that's very upsetting. And then there's all these nuances and like social rules and stuff that's not written down and you're just supposed to know them. Like that's tough. That's tough to navigate. Um, and, and it's also not something you think about asking, you know, it's not like I know these are the things I need to teach you before you go out in the world. It's only mm -hmm. when we have a hiccup that I'm like, Oh, 
I didn't know, uh, you know, and so I think that it's, it's a struggle, but at the same time, you know, he's like an amazing musician and he like loves to make these video clips and he has all these abilities, you know, and he can like hear the differences between a, a new Metro and an old Metro coming down the, the tracks, you know, wow. that kind of and so like he has all these special skills and he um, shines in those areas. And then, you know, like I said, it's like out of nowhere, something happens and we just never know what to expect, when to expect it and then how to deal with it. I mean, that kind of reminds me of one of my friends. I mean, he's got this really hypersensitive um, taste. He's able to literally eat something or even drink bottled water and be able to tell you the differences between the bottled water. Wow. That, that hearing he's got with the metros, that's part of his autism. Yes. It's like with me, I have a suit. I have a heightened sense of hearing, but not like that. Wow. I still have a heightened sense of smell, which is bad, especially if you go into like a smoke filled room or somebody smoking around you. It just really kicks up. Yeah, definitely. And Daniel will tell you like which rides at Disney smell like what. <laughs> right. And it's pretty cool. Like he'll be like, Mom, do you smell the bromine in the water on it's a small world? And I was like, Well now I do. You know, I didn't before, but now I do. Um and he'll be like, he knows the different smells of Metro and like it's wow. It's, yeah. So he's all of that is heightened for him. I bet you when he first walks in, he's able to smell the fact that they pump chocolate in the air. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> I mean, that's a given thing that people don't, real, that don't really realize is Disney pumps the smell of chocolate in the air when you're walking down Main Street. Main Street, yes. Um, I know that place very well. <laughs> I know a lot. <laughs> now... Does he also have ADHD? You know, he has been diagnosed previously with ADHD, but um, Daniel is really rigid. And so I think that his need to sort of follow his routine and patterns kind of overpowers his ADHD, you know? However, like if it's an undesired task, like, oh, homework, <laughs> he's like all over the place. So, um, but on like the day-to-day, -day, it's it's more his rigidity that takes the front part of, you know, the, the front and center so that um, his ADHD is not that noticeable. All right. Now, what kind of challenges has he faced growing up? Wow. Um, okay. So I guess challenges growing up making friends has been hard um being in like a, a neurotypical environment um you know and trying to um understand the social cues and just like naturally falling into place has been hard mm -hmm. um we have a lot of challenges with food he only likes yeah. like very limited number of items i mean he'll eat enough like he's full but he doesn't eat a variety um like i said he's rigid so he has a lot of rules like um for example like he has to eat scrambled eggs made by me and it, i have to start scrambling them at a certain time in his routine right like he <laughs> a bowl of, of, of um granola and he calls it clusters it's specific it's the only one he eats and like if I start scrambling the eggs before he starts eating the granola, that's not okay, right? Um, so then I have to know, like, um, is, am I ready? Can I make it? You know, then I make the scrambled eggs and then he can only eat it at the island and not at the table because I don't want something about the light and the color and whatever. Mm -hmm. um, and so then this becomes a challenge because when we travel, he won't eat the eggs. Like he won't, even if we're at a friend's house and I make the same eggs and the same, you know, it's like, that's just not, it's not, it's a rule, right? Like we only eat the eggs at my house, at the island after this and this. So that's always been one of the big challenges is um, to travel and be able to get his food that he will eat and, and enjoy <laughs> um, because he's got so many of these rules. All right. 
um, how does he deal with overstimulation? Oh, like, he's really um, you know, he likes to put on his uh, noise canceling headphones and he has his like, um, uh, what do they call playlists? And they'll just go through his playlist or he has like video clips that he likes, you know, um, sometimes like if we're going to go get a shot for the doctor's office, there's some sort of clip in some show that, so he'll watch that to calm him down from this. Or like, if he's really upset, um, you know, like during a fight or something, he'll Mm -hmm. like go to his room, turn on his uh, calming music or whatever it is. And then he'll just chillax. So he knows like, he's pretty good at recognize. Well, once he recognizes it, then he's pretty good at like bringing himself down. All right. Does he have his own quiet place at home? Yeah, he's got his room that he likes to go to. Um, and then we have a basement um, that has all the stuff that my boys use. I don't I don't even go down there. I don't know what's in there. <laughs> <laughs> Does he have any sensory issues like to light, to sound, to taste, to touch? Yeah. So he definitely... Um, like I said, the food is a big issue and like having specific kinds of food and he can tell when like cereals have been changed or whatever. Um, he has the sensitivity to smell. Um, he doesn't love loud noises. Um, he used to wear earplugs. Now he just wears the, um, headphones. So it's less, um, he doesn't stand out as much. Um, what other but he doesn't like it when it's too hot he doesn't like it when it's too cold you know he doesn't like the feeling of wet bathing suit on his like once he gets out of the pool he wants to change right away um like a lot of that texture um stuff is is can bother him now how do you deal with that to help him get over those kind of sensory issues Oh, well, okay. So I'm sure your mom has said this too. It's like, you got to pick your battles. Yeah. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. So the food thing, I've just, I, I mean, I've been trying to work on that for so long and it's just, it's really been tricky. So um, for everything else, as long as I know what the triggers are, I can usually, you know, figure out a way to work within the parameters. Unless it's something like, you know, that we cannot change. For example, like if we're going to the beach and we're just, you know, going to be in the car and he's going to have wet clothes and his feet are going to be sandy. Like there's nothing I can do about it. I just have to break it to him. Like you, this is what the situation is. Um, If it's a situation where we're just going somewhere else and he can just bring an extra change of clothes and he can like do whatever it is that he needs to do to get comfortable, whatever. Um, So what always, what I always try to tell him is like, if you can tell me, and he can now, obviously, because he's 16 and he's talking. Um, like, if you can explain to me what the situation is, it's like, I'm not mad at you. I'm just trying to make sure that we can figure something out, right? Like everything is figure outable somehow. If we can, if you can just help me help you. So, okay. you know, and that's only when I'm being patient, right? Like when I'm, busy and I'm dealing with the other one and I've like, you know, my dog and my husband and whatever, then I'm just like, deal with yourself. Ah. And that's when we get into our nice big fights, but we're not perfect. <laughs> now, how does his younger brother deal with him? Because uh, I'm pretty sure they're, they'll get into their sibling rivalries and their arguments and he'll look at him and you'll think he's weird. Yeah. And that all play into things with him. It's kind of hard. Um, you know, the two of them are really different. Um, like Seth's not into Disney at all, right? Like he's just like into Apex or Elden Ring or whatever he's into. Video games, yes. And uh, Daniel is like not into that stuff. So in terms of growing up, I think when they were little, they were like really, because they're close in age, they were like buddies and like, you know, you, you, there was nothing wrong with that it was great like they were small together and they like did all kinds of stuff together um and then as they grew up and became more independent with their own sort of unique interests um became a little bit tricky um i think that now that sets older and he kind of kind of understands more about like people and differences there's been more of like an understanding between them 
Um, but I feel like there's a lot of accommodating that Seth has to do to keep the peace. Um, but the good thing is he's really, um, flex, like where one is very rigid, the other is very flexible. Um, so we lucked out in that department. Um, so Seth is like, whatever, you know, a <laughs> hundred times, we're going to watch it. So that has definitely helped. Um, how is Daniel in making friends? I know you said he's got trouble. Does yeah. he have any friends? He So he's very outgoing. He's not one of those kids that you have to like encourage to go out there and, um, you know, make, like go be friendly. Um, so he has a bunch of friends from his previous schools um, and his previous schools have been more schools with kids that have some sort of um Work, right. So that has uh, been great. Um, he, his new, his, his high school that he just left had a program for kids on the spectrum. So oh, cool. that was like a little program within the bigger school. And in that program, he was able to make some nice friends. Um, and, you know, they come to the house and they like watch movies together. So that's been really great. The problem happens when, and I was unaware of this, that, in this public school that has this autism program, once you step out of that program, I nobody was ready for what was happening. I guess people stayed within their corners, right? So, but Daniel is really into theater and really into musicals. And so he branched out and he decided to join the theater and tried to do musicals and plays, which were great. And he had a great time, but those were all neurotypical kids. And, um, they were not welcoming. They were not taught how to kindly, Mm -hmm. you know, interact. And so there was a a horrible bullying situation that happened. Um, So bad. We pulled him from public school and had to put him in a different school. Um, So I think that when you are in an environment where there's modeling behavior, when it's, you know, very structured and very um, protected, it's easy for Daniel to make friends and you know, do all that when he is independent and there's has no advocates with children that are unkind or insensitive. It's a major fail in that area. So, you know, a part of it is Daniel, but part of it is society. And part of it is these kids not being um, able to handle differences. Um, and the school not being prepared Mm -hmm. for the kids that dare leave that program, right? Like you would think if the school had such a program, then they would train their staff and they would train their teachers and they would train their other students to be more accepting and kind. Um, But unfortunately that is not, was not the case, is not the case. I mean, I remember one story I was in, I took, I tried a semester in Columbia college here in Chicago the theater, our theater school. And I signed up for, to work behind the scenes. I tried to do a monologue to become an actor and I couldn't do that. So I decided to go behind the scenes. And I remember vaguely, I wasn't bullied, but I remember sitting down with a really nice kid who was kind of like told to look after me because they knew something was different. We didn't know I was autistic at the time. And I remember sitting sitting down with him at the end of the show and hearing the applause. And I just remember turning to him and going, how come we don't get recognition as the stage crew? And he just looks at me and he goes, you got to remember one thing, Reed. Without us, there isn't them. And without them, there isn't us. So when they get the applause, we get the applause as well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that kind of clicked in my head. It's like, yeah, without stage crew, there isn't anything else. Right. Right. So, He's part of like a machine that works together. Yeah. But I mean, I've had my, I mean, let him know. I mean, growing up, I was picked on too in high school a lot to where I almost had to pretend to be something I wasn't. Mm-hmm. I was bullied. I was picked on, even though my older brother went there kids from my own year picked on me. I mean, I had to give away my lunch money just for protection money. And how did you, was, how did your brother 
help you or how did no, you- he he graduated but the senior class knew who i was there were times where people would try to pick on me and people would jump in front of him and say you don't want to mess with him he's so and he's barry miles's younger brother a lot of the girls in school knew who i was so i mean i was that but i was still having problems i yeah. i mean I don't know if you had this with Daniel when he was growing up, but when I was in high school, my parents would constantly get calls saying Reed couldn't sit still in class, except for mm-hmm. one class, his general science class. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I wasn't able to focus on anything. My mind would always wander, even yeah. to this day, if I was put in a room with an untimed test, any little sound would distract me. Yeah. Does he have that same thing where any little thing would distract him? Yeah, um, he, I think he does feel overwhelmed when there's a lot of stimuli. Um, I think he, he definitely needs uh, a person to, you know, remind him of the task at hand, especially during an exam. Mm-hmm. Uh, but for Daniel, like he has this big fear, his anxiety of not completing it or not getting it all right. So that makes him frozen. Um, so that worries him. And then, you know, instead of being distracted, it's like this fear of not getting a hundred that then right. makes him stop and then he can't do the test or whatever it is. And then he has to be encouraged to like continue to at least get to the end. So uh, that's kind of like the feeling I get at times when I'm taking a test and then Mm -hmm. I see someone finish before me Mm -hmm. and I feel like why did they finish before me and we're doing the same test yeah what am I doing wrong yeah why am I what am I not understanding well also because you're so aware of everything that's going around you right I was taking a test I probably wouldn't notice you know and I would just be like okay I finished it this time but when you have that heightened awareness, it's like, you know, that person is finished and you know, that person is like really struggling with the question. Why am I not struggling with that question? And so all that is very distracting. And and I think um, he has measures in place. Like he takes tests in a quiet room or, you know, he has a proctor or something. Um, And I think within those sort of educational parameters, those things have been set up because there have been so many kids that like ADHD is like so common now, right? Like everybody, Mm -hmm. all the teachers know, put them in the front of the class, you know, repeat the question, ask them, make eye contact, check in. Like all that stuff is so um, commonplace that um, they have all these measures in place, which is again, like what I want for autism, right? So like if ADHD has been so like everybody's got it, why can't we just do that with autism? You know, like that would make my life so much better. (laughs) I mean, my biggest thing is with the educational systems and autism is I wish more schools would have programs for those who are on the spectrum. Mm -hmm. I mean, back when I was growing up, we knew nothing about autism. Right. I was in special ed. Right. Right. When I was diagnosed, it was not autism. It was, he had a learning disability. We didn't know anything about autism until later in life. Yeah. I mean, the kids nowadays, like Daniel, I mean, being found out early that now they, because of autism is something recognized. Yeah. It's a blessing. Yeah. I think we're in a good time for it. I think there's been a shift. Um, and all the numbers are showing there's going to be more and more kids on the spectrum. And I think you're right. I think that there's more programs, there's more schools that are um, able to handle <clears throat> students and they have different programs for different things, right? They have your mm-hmm. um, bridge program or in our area, you know, for the kids that need help emotionally. They have um the autism program for kids that are on the spectrum and need um, smaller classrooms for all the subjects. And they have um, tutors and pull in and push out and the IEP program where everybody gets their own individual plan. And so I think that um, people are starting to learn about it and put in measures to help 
the students um, at school. And also there's like a billion special education schools popping up because they yeah. know how to do it. And I think that's a great and amazing thing. I mean, what blows my mind is we're things are now just coming up with autism in the U.S. But if you look to Europe and all these other countries, they're way ahead of us in treating autism and having special programs for autism. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's like, why are we so behind when there are so many kids out there who are coming up as autistic? I mean, it's not only kids nowadays, you're finding out this person's autistic and this person just came out and this person just came out. Yeah. It's like, I don't, I don't know. I mean, how old were you when you were diagnosed and how did that? I was in my twenties. Okay. It it took my, my mother's cousin, who's a lawyer noticed that I had traits Mm -hmm. and told my mom, my mom's other cousin, who's a psychologist says, I think he's on the high end of the spectrum. Mm -hmm. And we applied twice for social security SSI and got denied. And then my mom's like, that's it. I'm going to hire a law firm, a disability law firm. And they literally said, you're going to be denied twice because they're going to say you're going to be able to do menial labor because they know nothing about autism, about the fact that my biggest problem is I have trouble working with people because I tend not to say, say the wrong thing. Mm-hmm. And that gets me in trouble. Mm-hmm. So the third time we had a lawyer from the firm and she sat down and she, we explained, I sat down and she's like, okay, we're going to go in front of this judge. And what's going to happen is he's going to talk to you and then they're going to have a woman from the vocational center come and try to point out different jobs you can do. And it's your job to say why you can't do those jobs. Mm-hmm. And my mom literally sat there and said, he can't do this because you're working with people. You can't do that. You're working with people. Any one of those jobs on that list, you're working with people. So it sounds like your mom has been your biggest supporter and advocate yeah yeah my mom has been a huge advocate of mine to literally she's the one that pushed me to do the blog the podcast just like you and your book with daniel you're pushing him to advocate for himself yeah so people recognize who we are as a person yeah well i love that you said that she was the first person you interviewed on your podcast (laughs) that made me so happy (laughs) Well, actually, she's not the first person I interviewed. I inter- oh. I did interview a mother who has... Oh, maybe I misread that. <laughs> she is, I interviewed a mother who had two kids on the spectrum, and their husband was on the spectrum. Okay, wow. And the daughter who wasn't on the spectrum, so it was... I mean, I've had many pe- parents like you who have kids on the spectrum but aren't on the spectrum, so... It's, it's how they see life through their eyes. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder if, so what do you think? I wonder if I were on the spectrum, I would be able to understand Daniel in a different way. Like, do you feel that way with your mom or do you think that? I think if my mom was my mother or my father, if my mother was on the spectrum, I think she would understand me a little bit better. Right. She'd know why I think the way I do. Mm-hmm. I think my father was the one who was on the spectrum, but we really didn't know. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I mean, he had trouble with spelling and other things. Mm-hmm. But back in his day, you know, there wasn't any kind of diagnosis for anything. Yeah. 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 Interesting. But, uh, how is he doing today? He's good. He started his new school and, you know, he doesn't love it yet. It's only been like a week or two. Um, But every day he's like, I'm getting used to it. And um, we're just trying to help him move on and, you know, learn from it and mostly just finish the school year so we can take a break. You know, summer is good that way, right? We get a nice big break. Um, 
And I think those are really important for our kids to just, I mean, I do feel that structure is really good to have someplace to go every day, um, but also just having a nice break can help reset. And mm-hmm. um, it's a lot, it's a lot to keep together during the day at school. And then, you know, you just, um, I forget how hard it is because um, as old school, they used to have this thing was like special visit day or whatever. And the parents had to not had to, the parents were invited to spend a day with the kids. And so I would go and I would be in school again from eight to three with the lunch break. And I have to say, I was exhausted, you know, and I, I mean, I'm not out of shape or anything. I was just really exhausted mentally and like physically. And just, I just wanted to go home and like lay down. And so if I'm like that, you know, it's amazing what all these kids have to do day after day after day. I mean, maybe you build up some sort of stamina because this is what you're used to. Um, But it was just tough. Um, So I'm really looking forward to him finishing the school year, hopefully with the success and, you know, a high note somewhere, and then we can tackle the next year, (laughs) whatever comes our way. (laughs) Now, how did he handle the, the pandemic? with being cooped inside because I know I've had a couple of parents I've talked to and they said it was a change for them. Yeah. So that was tough. Um, It was tough for everyone. I think, you know, just limited activity, um, just being in the house all the time and like staring at each other. Um, My husband was working from home. Um, I was home all the time with the kids I think we were really lucky because we have separate areas that the kids can go to. So like my son, Daniel was in the dining room and my other one was in the kitchen with me or, you know, so there was like enough space to spread out. Thank goodness. Um, It was interesting in that for school, they had a nice structure and they just did it A days and B days and, you know, zoomed every day and, you know, it was very like set up that way. Um, and then and the problem I felt was like physical activity. Like we didn't mm-hmm. we do anything. We did a lot of walking. We locked, we walked our dog a lot. Um, but even then, you know, there's people on the trail and like, we didn't know what, what was okay and what wasn't, you know, and like masking outside and masking inside. And um, so for us, it was very, it was a tough time for going, getting very stir crazy. Um, but as for the academics and stuff for him, he just, he likes structure and order and patterns. And so that didn't really become a problem, which was really lucky for us. Um, and then we didn't get a pandemic dog, but we had a dog from like two years before. So that saved us too, right? Mm-hmm. We got to walk the dog. We got to, the dog is bored, you know? Um, so that was another benefit. And then I tried to get the kids to go um, running on the trail. And so we did a little bit of that. And Daniel likes to bike ride. So he did a lot of bike riding. That's good. I mean, it's, I felt that the pandemic was hard for most of us on the spectrum because it was like, you go out, you go to school, you have your activities and all of a sudden, boom, you stuck in your home. You got to do everything on your computer. You have a more rigid timeline. There is no outside activity. So it kind of stifles the mind to the point where you're stuck and you don't know what to do. Yeah. There was some of that, you know, it was a lot of hours and hours staring at a computer screen. Um, and um, when we went out and people were in masks, you know, we couldn't understand anybody. I couldn't understand anybody. Yes, I, we get that too here. <laughs> yeah. Like imagine if you had any sort of language processing issue, it's like, what are they saying? You know? Um, and so Daniel was upset that he didn't get to see his friends, but they did do like Zoom hangouts and, you know, um, it doesn't make up for the real deal, but um it was a hard time and I'm glad that it is hopefully, you know, on the tail end of it all. Now, does he have problems with like, um, keeping eye contact at all? Not 
as much it's he doesn't really have um an eye contact issue so much as sometimes i just don't know who he's talking to because he'll just start talking and i'm like wait was that question for me for dad like who are you talking to (laughs) (laughs) but um that's more but if somebody were to look at him i mean with daniel you wouldn't even know he was quirky until you were like seven sentences into the conversation and then you're like that was weird (laughs) So, yeah, the eye contact used to be a thing, but we, he sort of picked up on that and, and has tried to make more contact. That's good. Let him know he's not alone. I'm also myself an extrovert. And I love going to parties. I mean, my sister-in-law's got a huge family, so we do all the holidays, but... I tend to get exhausted by the end of a party. Does he have that same issue where you go out to say a family barbecue or holidays of family, he comes home, he's like wiped out. Yeah. And you know, he honestly, he, we usually kind of figure out, we always have a plan, right? Like he, if there's a, if it gets too much for him, he usually will go somewhere quiet and have his headphones on and like have his phone and be chilling out, you know, and it's not like he's avoiding the family. It's just that there's just too much stuff going on. So um, I think he, in all of our schools that he's gone to, they really talked about self-regulation and being able to read your engine and all that, all that terminology. And so he knows to find a place. And also he doesn't want to stay as long as we do. And so um, when he does go off and find a quiet place, then I know he's safe. And he knows he's happy because he's just doing his thing and then we can hang out for a little bit longer. So, but he does, it, it does, it's a lot, you know, it's a lot to sort of pay attention to what people are saying. And I mean, I get exhausted. Yeah. <laughs> now, does he have any idea what he wants to be when he grows up? I mean, does he have an idea of uh, occupation for himself? Um, well, he was going to work at Disney. And I think what he would really like to do is develop roller coaster and or theme ride. No, not roller coasters. I think it's theme rides. Um, very uh, immersive experiences and or redo some of the rides with his, you know, interpretations or, you know, make them better this way or that way. So I know that that's something he wanted to do um, is work for Walt Disney. Hey, shout out Walt Disney. <laughs> <laughs> so he wants to be an Imagineer. Yeah, I think so. That would be cool. I mean, that's something I wanted to be when I was growing up. I remember I had this great idea for a ride and I emailed him one day and I get an email back and saying, saying, I'm sorry, we don't take outside suggestions from people. It's uh, we all our suggestions come from our imaginaries. Mm-hmm. So if you want to if you want to help, help, please apply to become an imaginary. Uh, OK, yeah. So maybe that's what he can do, you know? That would be fun. Yeah. But anyways, that was Corey Yasuno, a -hmm. mother who's got a son on the spectrum and an author. Thank you very much, Corey. Sure. Um, If you want to find me online, you can find me at Corey Yasuno, K-U-R-I-Y-A-S-U-N-O.com. And um, on Instagram too, same. Everything is... K-U-R-I-Y-A-S-U-N-O. <laughs> and I'll leave the links down below and the link to her book too, everyone. So see you in the next one. Okay, thank you. You're welcome. the way things used to be I'm no big fan of now I must have some sweeter memories somewhere in the cloud
gonna miss all you used to be Gonna miss all you had Consigned to the dustbins of history Like opinions from your dead Talk to the freaks. You can talk to just about anybody you happen to meet. It ain't what it was, and it is what it is. Time to move. 